My name is Adam Roberts, and I'm a vocal coach here in the live music capital of the world, Austin, Texas. I'm on a journey to learn the stories behind extraordinary voices of people I know and what makes them unique. Each of my guests has chosen to follow their voice. So this is Cola Voce. Welcome, everyone, to Cola Voce. We are recording today's episode on May the 4th, so I will say May the 4th be with you because I think that it is incumbent upon me to say that today. I am so excited to sit down today to chat with someone who I first met as a client working on Singing Voice, and wow, over the past few months have I come to know and love Nia Olabisi. Nia, thank you so much for sitting down to chat with me today about finding and following your voice. I'm so happy to be here, Adam, and I thank you. And I thank you. You know, just before we started to record this episode, you and I were talking, Nia, about your name because I said, you know, the funny thing is I've seen your name come up on Zoom so often. And obviously I knew Nia, but we started to talk about how I wanted to correctly pronounce your last name that I've only seen in writing. And you said Olabisi is how you pronounce that name. And then we got to talking about the meanings behind your names. And I would just love for you to fill in the folks who are listening about that, because I had no idea until just five minutes ago, the incredible power and impact of these names. And and then, as you said, of your children's names. So could you talk a little bit about that? Well, yes, Adam, um, our names, uh, we chose those names as spiritual names, uh, which the names are part of the Nguza Saba. The Nguza Saba are the seven principles and they are a set of ideals that was created by uh, Dr. Merlena Karenga and their Kwanzaa principles. Each day of Kwanzaa emphasizes a different principle to strive for and maintain unity in the family, the community, the nation, and race. The intention of the system is like the intention of the holiday Kwanzaa on which the holiday turns is to remember and access the African in us and to use it not only to come into the fullness of ourselves, but also to increase and sustain African and human good and well-being of the family and the community. My name, Nia, I chose because I feel I have a purpose on the planet, in the world. And it means to make our collective vocation, the building and developing of our community in order to restore our people to the traditional greatness. And I also chose to sing jazz because it's so deeply rooted in our Africanness. Kaumba is my son. He's a musician. His name means to do always as much as we can and the way we can in order to leave our community more beautiful and beneficial than when we inherited it. My son teaches, um, he's been playing drums since he was three. He plays djembe. He plays all types of African drums. Um, he does all kinds of things in the community for everyone. He shares, uh, he teaches children from two years old. He plays with the Ankaran, African dancers and drummers. They are located in the DC area and uh, they travel all over the world and play. My daughter, her name is Imani. It means faith. 
again, one of the Nguza Saba principles, to believe with all our heart and our people, our parents, our teachers, our leaders, and the righteousness and victory of our struggle. My daughter is a professional counselor. She has been counseling adults. When she was 10 years old, she was counseling. And now she's a professional counselor. She also um, works for Brown Rock ISD. And um, she also works with children with autism within the school system. So they chose these names and we chose our names because that's where we live from. And the other principles, you have Emoja, which is the first day of Kwanzaa, to strive for and maintain unity in the family, community, nation, and race. Kutachakalia is self-determination to define ourselves, name ourselves, create for ourselves, and speak for ourselves. Ujima is collective work and responsibility to build and maintain our community together and make our brothers and sisters problems our problems and to solve them together. Ujima, cooperative economics to build and maintain our own stores, shops, and other businesses and to profit from them together. And then you have the other three, Nia, Kumba, and Imani. So that's where framework, the dancers, all of that is about giving back all through your life and build on it. And as you spread it, they spread it. Well, and you mentioned to me, right, that Olabisi is to spread joy. Is that correct? Did I get that right? Olabisi is joy multiplied. Joy multiplied. That's what that means. Yeah. So I have a purpose to spread joy. Do anything I'm trying to do. That's the intention. And I can sit here and swear under oath that you do that in everything you do in your life. And I've only known you now for maybe half a year, Nia. And you have been such an inspiration to me, which is why I was so excited when you said yes to coming on this podcast and to sharing your stories. Now, you mentioned that you're a performer. And as are many, though not all, of the guests who are on this podcast. And so I'm interested to know, Nia, how did you first find your love of music? And then how did you come to follow that throughout your life? Well, um, I, I started singing in the church at three. I was in a group choir in the church called the Cleaverettes. And my mother is also a singer. And, um, you know, my family have, there's a lot of artists and singers. And I used to, you know, always hear my mother singing. So I wanted to sing. That's how I got into the Cleaverettes. She would always be humming and practicing her songs. And I really believe that um, it just went through me, just like now, constantly at it, working, you know, it just grounds me and makes me who I am. I can't imagine not singing, but if I, for some reason, God forbid, something like that would happen, I would do something, whatever I could do with my body, with my mind, whatever. <laughs> But yes, that's from my mother. And so as I grew up, you know, as a teenager, I bought my microphone and my, my record player in my room. And I would always be in my room and my mirror singing with my microphone. I would save up my money, do little chores in the neighborhood, you know, because I was so determined that I wanted to sing. My first love is dance. Yes, I've always danced growing up. And I've always wanted to be in the Alvin Ailey group. You know, and I remember when I first saw the company, wow, 
I was so blown away. I followed the bus for hours. <laughs> Just wanting to be part of that. Oh, and I did get a chance to um, go to New York and do that whole thing. That's when I determined, I want this to be me. And then I determined, I want to do everything. I want to dance and sing and shout and act. So that's how framework again, that's how that came about because I wasn't able to do those things growing up, you know, like go to dance class. And I wanted that to be possible for other children, you know, to have that opportunity to, so that they can believe that they could do whatever they wanted to do in their life, no matter what it was, to give them that self-esteem and pull out what's in there so that they could see for themselves, I can do this. And I am really looking forward to talking about framework a little later in our conversation. What were the reasons that you were unable to to get to class? Because I think that's going to feed into what we talk about later. I'm sure that my parents could afford it, but I never really even looked at it that way. Dance was just regular. It was normal. It wasn't something that I would even think about going to class for. I didn't really get into that till I got older after um, sixth grade or going into a junior high and high school. And then I did get in a lot of different groups. But then I, I didn't feel like I was good enough. That's when I realized, wow, I should have been in class all this time because I didn't know about all that. So once I did find out about it, you know, I just did it. I went on and took whatever I needed to take. And so I was with a dance company, several dance companies, freelancing. But one company I was with, uh, a dance school, which was a ballet company. I was working for the federal government. I worked at night, uh, like from 11 to 8. And when I got off at 8, I would go to company uh, class and we would be there from like 9 to 4, like every day. And then I would go home, get a couple hours of sleep and go back to work, get to work by 11.30. I was just determined. I was determined because I just felt like there's nothing else that I love so much. And to be able to do it on any level, you know, I never felt like I wanted to be a star or anything like that. I just wanted to feel the music and the movement inside of me and share it in performance and teaching in any way I could. And you obviously had that innate gift because it felt so right and powerful and and naturally embodied for you that you as you said, didn't even necessarily conceive of the idea that there would be some kind of training component out there in the world. Right. It was so a part of you. Yeah, and yoga came into my life when I was around like nine. Uh, I used to hang out in the library a lot, reading uh, about different Brazil, uh, Portugal, places like that, you know, I just would just read about it. And I came upon this yoga book and I started, teaching myself yoga. And um, I, I never stopped. And, you know, I ended up teaching yoga for different fitness centers and, you know, all around the DC area. So you've mentioned DC and you've mentioned working for the federal government. So you were in New York City. Did you go straight from New York to, to DC? No, I visited New York for an audition. I see. <laughs> With the Alvin Ailey. That's yes. what I meant when I said I finally did. I see. I wanted to experience, oh, wow. But my first time in the theater was like, oh, I have got to do this. 
You have a lot of I've got to do this stories. <laughs> I love it. And even now, whenever I go into a theater, it just, wow. It's the feeling that you just love being there. Yes. And I can't imagine what it must have been like to visit New York City and go to audition for the, the Alvin Ailey company. Yes. 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 And stand in the long line and all, the whole thing. Oh, wow. It was beautiful. Memories, right? I didn't even care about not getting the call back. <laughs> I just wanted to experience that. So you're in DC and I know from you and from talking with you over these past several months, something was ignited in you to form this nonprofit and probably even beyond the nonprofit you formed to really be doing community outreach in whatever way that you could through whatever organizations or entities you could. You've told me that you literally would go to apartment complexes and teach in the laundry rooms of apartment complexes because parents who were working were not able to bring their children to you. So you went to them and taught in these laundry rooms. Even there, I taught the parents too. Taught the parents. I taught the parents and the children. <laughs> because absolutely. I wanted the parents to be involved. Yes, absolutely incredible. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to be inspired to do this and to go out into the communities and to serve communities who are so underserved and bring them to the arts? I just wanted everybody to be able to learn about their body, the diet, uh, who they are, where they came from, you know, their history, to realize you are great. You are great. Even if you don't think you are, you are. You know, and it's just amazing that some children, they don't get to hear that, you know? I first started out in 76 teaching in my mother's basement. And uh, the parents would come, I would give them their class and they would go up outside or out front, you know, and just chill out. And while I gave their children their ballet classes. Then uh, after I moved and bought my house, I, I took up the floors and everything and had me a studio, put the mirrors up. Parents couldn't get their children there. I would go pick them up. I would have a car full of kids. You know, I just wanted them to have fun and just to build them up. We also would perform for um, hospitals every year, different groups, we would get together. Uh, we would do like a Christmas show, a spring, uh, a scramming where the children would model. Uh, they would make all their clothes, make, make their costumes. The parents were, were the staff. We had a huge staff and framework changed into, not changed, but it was like a, um, a spinoff, which was Soya, which happened in 2002, I believe. Uh, Soya to Save Our Young and Adults uh, was incorporated. The Soya to Save Our Young and Adults provides services that aid in improving the health, education, training, housing, and general welfare of low to moderate income residents, specifically of our young adults with primary focus on individuals exiting the correctional facilities. How did the term framework in the initial iteration come to be? I chose framework because I felt like this is the frame of which we're going to work in. 
finding out who you are through your history, where you came from. I wanted them to know what happened, how we got here, you know, the whole background. So I, my studio, I had, what, three bedrooms, and we also had a, like another room in the back. We had classes in every room. So you have always had a focus through all of your projects on wellness, Yes. On the whole person. Yes. On the lifespan and development. Yes. On when you say entrepreneurship, to me, it sounds like you're talking about setting oneself up for the potential in every person. Yes. Yes. So that if you ever find yourself without a job, you have skills. You know, I just felt like find out who you are and what you can contribute. Everybody has something. Just need to find out what it is. We've talked now about your impact as a community builder, as a community leader, through the arts, but in a way that the arts are being used for the purposes of furthering the individual's development, wellness, outlook on life. You talked about how obviously you're working this full-time job for the federal government. You're doing all of these things at the same time, and you're also performing. Yes. How did you keep up as a performer, keep up your body, keep up your voice, keep up your schedule performing during this time? Around 1991, uh, I really started performing, you know, back then in the clubs, you know, you would start at eight and the, the gig would go until like two or four in the morning. You know, you would work all through the night, you know, even whether it was someone in the club or not. <laughs> I think I, my band was together for close to maybe 15 years. So they knew me like a book. And speaking of books, I have seen firsthand your binders of sheet music, charts, and I know you have a lot more of those still back in DC that you don't even have with you. Right. You must have hundreds of charts that are arrangements of standards and of spirituals and of other songs that you have performed over these many years. Yeah, I do. It's incredible <laughs> to see they're handwritten and and that's, you know, like like one did back in the day, right? Um, yeah. And there's something very special about that, I think. Yeah, to me as, as well. Um, I studied with uh, Ron Elliston and Ronnie Wells. They're married. They're no longer with us, but they're with us, of course. Yes. Um, uh, it was so wonderful to be blessed to meet her and Ron. And I studied jazz with them. Uh, when I came to them, I was singing jazz, you know, and from playing music throughout my life at that point, you know, so I really knew how to read music, you know, because I played music from kindergarten all the way through school. But she took me in and um, she just opened up that world to me. They were great. We would, she would always have jam sessions at her house. And uh, she would have the East Coast Jazz Festival every year, uh, and they still have it today. Ronnie and Ron, and she also was uh, a jazz uh, vocalist, very well known, and her husband as well, pianist, great pianist. You know, every, everyone knew them. 
it was an honor and a, a privilege to to have studied with them and to have known them. And that's who did my charts was Ron. Mm. So that's it's especially special to see that handwriting because it's literally yeah they were made uh, those were for me. Now as you are doing all of this incredible work. I'm not sure where you got that couple of hours of sleep you mentioned in your day. (laughs) But as you're doing all of this work, you know, I mentioned that there seems to be a a definite theme of of wellness, of health, of entrepreneurship of, you know, that is that is threading through your career and your and your personal life. The other theme that I think is very clear from our discussion already is heritage and knowing where one has come from. And as you said, knowing how we got here to this place. I am very curious to know what adversities you have experienced as an artist of color, as a community builder, as an as a performing artist, as someone who is clearly so dedicated to education, to preservation of cultural heritage, there have to have been particular adversities that you have come up against in your work. And I'm wondering what those have been like. I think for me, it required a lot of, you need to have self-confidence uh, you need to have the stamina, the resilience, the tenacity, the flexibility. You know, you have to be well organized. You need to manage your time. And you need to be able to work with all kinds of people, whoever they are. I was a single parent. I worked a full-time government job. I had the challenges of raising two teenagers. And even then, I continued to grow in my art form with the help of my family members and friends. I was able to continuously, you know, explore opportunities. And I'm really grateful to everyone. I always involved my family in anything that I was doing. I mean, even to this day, if you ask a cousin or a sister-in-law or anyone, aunts, my mother, <laughs> my father, <laughs> if you ask any of them, they would say, uh, you going with her? <laughs> you may never come back home. <laughs> <laughs> She'll have you all uptown. We pass out flyers. Oh, you'll be every, you'll be doing something. Yes, indeed. I would involve everyone. And I, I just like to um, help people and family um, get to where they want to be. You know, if it's something that I can do to help. Now, you mentioned earlier on that you chose your name and the names of your children based on Kwanzaa principles. You also mentioned that you would sew clothing and costumes and that you would take care only to use fabric that was African. And you mentioned also that a large part of the foundation for the programming that you created and led as a community builder was based around heritage. Not everyone is necessarily as focused on the importance of heritage in the sense that they incorporate it into their life as intimately as you have. And I'm interested to know 
why all of those things? Why is that heritage so valuable and important as a thread through everything that Nia does? Well, we need to know where our ancestors come from and what they went through. Our ancestors were taken from the land, you know, to the point where we don't know where we come from. You know, it makes such a big difference. I believe that you need to know where you come from so you know where you're going. Just to know the information of how they got here, what they went through, when they got here, that tells you something about who you are. Everybody needs to know who they are, you know, no matter what color, you know. Everybody needs to know who they are and where they come from. That That is, to me, at the core of who I have come to know who you are and the kind of multiplication of joy that is your name. Absolutely incredible. Now, before we leave D.C. and come to present-day Austin, you were involved in a production of the musical Caroline or Change at the Studio Theater in D.C. during your time there. And for those who are listening who may not know, Studio Theater is a prominent regional theater, well-known throughout the country. Carolina or Change is a musical that is set in Lake Charles, Louisiana, during the Kennedy years, and is about a Black maid who works for a Jewish family. And I'll leave it at that so that folks who uh, might at some point uh, get to see Carolina or Change um, will be able to follow the story and their own journey. I would love to know what that experience was like for you, because certainly my hope is that in the coming years, decades, centuries, that theater and our stages are going to start to represent the true fabric of everyone whose stories are being told and not just a select few demographics for whom musicals have been the purview since, you know, really the dawn of, of Broadway. Carolina Change is one of those musicals that has a character who comes from traditionally marginalized demographics. What was it like to be part of that production? Wow. It was it was fabulous, really. But I don't I don't feel like I had enough time with it because I had so many other things going on. I would leave my job during the day on a lunch break to go for rehearsals. <laughs> and I would have to go back to work. Then I also was performing with my band. So I never really got a chance to really get into it the way that I wanted to get into it. I really never had enough time to do that. It was interesting. I loved the way you weren't speaking. You were singing everything. And I loved the characters. I loved the uh, actors and the singers who were playing the characters. He made those characters come to life. When the whole thing came together, wow, they were popping. You know, that whole, everything was there. And how did you become involved in the production? Uh, well, I was taking classes there, and um, they offered me uh, understudy for Caroline. I was so blown away. And, oh, my God, the music and the singing for Caroline's part, whew, 
I still want to get that music and go through that. Well, it sounds like a project for us, doesn't it? Yes, that is definitely going to be a project. So then what brought you to Austin? Well, my daughter was living here, is living here. So I said, hey, I'm going to come and hang out with you. But I was only going to stay a year and go back to Maryland and D.C. And um, I don't want to leave now. Definitely the coolest place. It's like this place was made for someone like me who likes to just chill. It's like uh, so laid back and chill, whereas D.C. is kind of uptight, you know, two different places, two whole different vibes. Uh, It's busy here, too, but D.C. is like always something happening. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, as you continue to follow your voice here in Austin, what are you pursuing? I'm trying to like be on like this sailboat, you know, in the water. I'm just like kind of chilling, you know, I'm retired. I I just want to release myself in the most chilled out way. I don't want to have any stress. And that's what's happening here. I can do, you know, I can still paint, sing, act. And there's such a big community here. Everyone is so nice, you know. So welcoming, I should say. When I first went to Round Rock to the gallery, uh, the Round Rock Gallery, they were doing an outside show, and I met the director of the gallery, and I told him about my artwork, and he was just so into it. He was great. He gave me his card, gave me all types of people, places, and things, and I followed up on everything he did, and I've been on the art scene ever since. And I am privileged to have in my possession an original. Mia Olabisi, which I do count as a privilege, I have to tell you. It's gorgeous. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, so um, in meeting you, I told you before, I was always meant to meet you. You've come along and opened up a whole new space in my head. (laughs) The little bit of time we've known each other, you have totally opened my voice up to me. And I feel like I can do anything. I'm so grateful to meet you. Well, I have to say ditto, 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 because I feel (laughs) exactly the same way. You have brought joy to my life. Your, Your name is apt. And you have also... In many ways, including through our our chat today, you have given me so much to think about, so much inspiration in continuing to pursue and work with others and values. What is What are the values that we set when we go into a project or when we go into programming or an organization? And I think that that has been something that has been paramount for you. And I hope that that's something we can all learn from as we go into our everyday lives, into our careers, into our workplaces, and into our communities. So I just want to thank you, Nia, thank you. so much. And thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I'm sure that there will be a follow-up episode sometime in the coming years. And I want to thank everyone for joining us today on this episode of Cola Voce. We will see you next time. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Cola Voce. And until next time, remember, follow your heart and follow your voice.